Welcome to the Limitless Energy Podcast. My guest today is Tyson Falk, uh, Government Public Policy Manager at Ioneer. Yeah, that's right. Thanks so much for having me. Dan. Did I say it's that a, right? It's a, you, you did. Oh, it was okay. perfect. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. Uh, so before we get into mining and Ioneer, let's talk about you. Um, because well, I moved here about 11 years ago, and you're one of the first people I met. Uh, and at the time, you were working at a state agency uh, called NIREC, which stands for what? Yeah, so NIREC was the Nevada Institute for Renewable Energy Commercialization. Uh, we were based out of the Desert Research Institute, not too far from here. Um, and we were working with researchers and professors and trying to help them commercialize their technology that they may have developed, whether that was intellectual property, a, a particular um, a process or something innovative, and in particular around the gl uh, clean energy green space. Your background, you, you actually went to UNR, right? I did, yeah. So I, I guess taking a step back, I grew up in rural Nevada. Um, I lived in Ely and Elko and Winnemucca uh, growing up, and then I moved to Reno um, and attended UNR and ultimately got a pre-law degree there and then went to grad school um, and got a master's degree in public policy at UNR. So you decided against law? I decided against law, yes. Okay, so how did what did you do between UNR and NIREC? So I started um, as a lobbyist, actually. I took an internship, and I worked at the state legislature and uh, represented a number of different clients. Um, and some of those, and, and actually quite a few of them, were in the renewable energy space. So renewable energy advocacy, how can we as a state move forward in deployment of clean technology, renewable energy? How can we take advantage of the natural resources that we have here in the state? So that's how I got into, into politics writ large. Um, and then while I was going into grad school is when I worked at, at NIREC. Oh, really? You were a grad student at the time? I was, yes. Okay. I didn't know that. So when, when I first moved here and I was thinking I want to start a lithium ion battery company and I was kind of getting my bearings and, and learning the, the city. And I think through the university, I was getting my MBA there, I was referred to NIREC. I don't know if it was specifically to you, but I went to the DRI campus and we met. And um, I think the idea was potentially NIREC would, would help. But I guess you did put, actually supply funds to startups or entrepreneurs. But at that time, that was close to the end of NIREC. Right. Yeah. So uh, NIREC ended up closing its doors, you know, not too long after that. Um, but we did help a number of companies and, and we did a lot of startup entrepreneurship efforts. Um, I think we were one of the first to do sort of the, the startup um, weekends, for example. And so we really focused on entrepreneurship. And maybe it's important to uh, think back to the time that that was in, yeah. right? I mean, it that was, was not a, a good economy. It was not, no. And, you know, it, somebody that just graduated and you come into the worst recession that's, you know, hit the country in a long time, and Nevada in particular being the hardest hit, it was right. really dire, dire this times. Was 2012, Reno was hammered. Yeah, I, I think um, I remember about 14% unemployment, you mm -hmm. know, across the state. And so there was really an, a, an effort to, what can we do to diversify our economy? We were certainly, you know, over reliant. I would say on gaming and tourism. And during a recession, of course, those are the first that get hit. And so the state, um, and a lot of efforts um, at the state and at NIREC, was looking at ways that we can diversify our economy. How can we become more more sustainable and really taking advantage of the resources we have here? And you know, it was at that time um, at NIREC that my my colleague and and myself, um, Brian McCardle, that we actually under contract with the Nevada Governor's Office of Energy 
wrote a couple of white papers and looking particularly at our opportunities around uh, lithium um, in, in developing because we knew we had lithium resources here um, and rare earth elements as well. And so those papers were ultimately published um, uh, through the governor's office of energy. And lo and behold, here we are, you know, uh, what are we, 11, 12 years later, and we start to see this uh, burgeoning economy from uh, mining to processing to manufacturing to recycling. So it's been you know, kind of coming full circle. Who whose idea was NIRAC, and do you think it actually played an important role in getting to where we are today for the state? Um, so NIRAC was it was uh, funded through the gov um, through the the National Department of Energy. Actually, um, I, I want to say that that was some of the ARA funds, American Reinvestment. Um, whatever that acronym mm -hmm. was. And so there was a lot of um, money deployed towards how can we um, develop clean energy technologies across the United States and, and in Nevada in particular. And um, yeah, I joined kind of late on in NIREC. They w existed a few years before I joined on. So I, I don't know if I could go into the exact history um, of NIREC. Mm -hmm. Okay, so NIREC closed, I guess, is around 2013-ish. Yeah. Uh, and then where did you go after that? So, yeah, so um, after after NIREC was done, I, I did a couple of different things here and there to just making ends meet. But ultimately, I got back into lobbying um, and I worked for, for a law firm here locally. And I went back to the legislature and worked a number of sessions um, representing various clients and a lot of them in the in the clean energy space. Um, and then, you know, in 2020, um, I, I got a call from from Ioneer and, and wasn't told who the mining company was, but hey, would you be interested in coming and working um, and doing public and government affairs for um, for a mining company? And, you know, I found out that it was a lithium company and I was super excited to be part of it, understanding that this would be one of the, the first new mining projects or lithium mines that would be coming online. Um, in the United States in many, many, many decades. And so, um, you know, fast forward now, I've been at, um, at Ioneer for the last three and a half years. Was lithium playing uh, an important role in what you were doing from NIREC and beyond? You were doing public policy and working on renewable projects, but did you know lithium was sort of a central theme there? Yeah, so actually I think, um, you know, one of, one of the organizations that I've worked with for since that time actually is a group called the Nevada Mineral Exploration Coalition. Um, and so that's a that's an organization of, of juniors and explorers, the guys that are actually going and finding uh, the deposits. Um, and so I represented them both at the state legislature, helping organizing uh, their meetings, you know, doing um, advocacy around around the country um, at different trade shows and that and really highlighting Nevada's opportunity um, as when it comes to um, our natural resources. Certainly, you know, mining's played an important role here in the states and, you know, our prowess is in, in gold and, and silver historically and, and certainly copper. Um, but seeing the writing on the wall of seeing what 21st century technology needs and for our deployment of renewable energy, lithium is, was, uh, we could see the writing on the wall, it was going to be very important. And so I think lithium has been a focus from uh, from folks on the exploration side of the mining side and certainly on the public policy side. In terms of being beyond exploration for lithium in, in the United States in general, there, there's not a lot of projects that are beyond exploration. Ioneer is one of them. I guess Lithium Americas, these, these are projects that are imminent, that are going to come to fruition. Are there are there others? 
There's, is there is Piedmont coming online? You know, I don't I, I, I don't know if I could speak to the specifics of, mm-hmm. of, of a Piedmont. Um, yeah, I think that we are probably one of uh, probably a handful, I would say, of uh, projects that have a chance to come online in sort of the near future. There's a lot of exploration activity, of course, um, even in around where our project is in central Nevada. You see a lot of resources and, and a lot of work being put into finding that next that next deposit. But, you know, in terms of um, projects that could come online in the near term, yeah, we're we're on that short list. But even now, there's there's only one active mine. There's the the Silver Peak mine that has been. I don't know how how long they've been mining lithium, but it's been around a while. Not necessarily for batteries, but mining lithium. Right. Yeah, I want to say that that uh, that facility has been around since about the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's a brine facility. Right? That is that is a brine, and and I guess to differentiate ourselves, so we are um, we're in hard rock um our uh, our ore deposit is actually pretty unique to the world and and you know we have of course lithium we're talking about lithium today but we also have a lot of boron um inside our ore and we're one of the largest lithium boron um deposits in on on the planet um and so our process is inherently different um you see a lot of uh, they have the evaporation ponds right and we won't have any of that we're more of a traditional um mining company in that regard where extract it but then we'll also be processing it right there on site as well so we'll be one of the first domestic refiners of of lithium and, and boron materials here in the united states right and and the processing itself is proprietary to ioneer right it's your process yes yeah it's a it's a it's a bespoke process you know i think various parts of that process have existed elsewhere but putting them all together um, in one process is is unique to us Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty exciting because that's what we need now, especially in the lithium industry, is innovation. Um, there's obviously there's direct extraction techniques for brines, and we want to be able to come up with better and cheaper ways to get it out of rocks and clays, and and uh, ultimately lower the cost. Right? Is that ultimately the mission? I think the mission. Yeah, I, I think you've hit on it, and I think really what we're looking at is how can we onshore production? Mm-hmm. How can we um, figure out ways to not only get the materials out, but then to ultimately refine them into materials that companies like Dragonfly can use that you can put right into the manufacturing process. And so figuring out a ways to do that economically um, in an environmentally friendly manner um, is uh, kind of the keys there. Right. Well, we are in different parts of the supply chain when it comes to lithium-ion batteries, but I think that we're similar in that we are also trying to onshore and the way to do that to compete on the global stage is to innovate and make things cost effective and and um it's it's difficult to compete when you're starting from scratch but it's also difficult to compete against very mature uh mining operations or cell manufacturing operations that have managed to lower the cost so dramatically. So it, it really does take step function innovations. And I would say Ioneer is is doing that. So it's it's nice to be it's it's nice for us to have a relationship with Ioneer. Uh, we have an offtake for lithium for for lithium 
carbonate and lithium hydroxide, you guys can make both, right? So we're going to be uh, primarily focused on lithium carbonate mm-hmm. um, as, as we start, and it really depends on you know ultimately the customers and what they what they need. Um, and I'm certainly not a, a metallurgist or a chemical engineer, so I probably couldn't go into the into the specifics of you know carbonate versus hydroxide. But at the start, we're going to be you know focusing on uh, getting into the lithium carbonate. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the support you've received. So obviously the the administration, the country as a whole has a vested interest to um, onshore the the mining, well obviously onshoring the mining, onshoring the processing, onshoring the, uh, the development of cathode material. That's something that we're very interested in keeping everything domestic. How has the government supported Ioneer in this endeavor? Yeah, so um, been very supportive. We have a conditional uh, loan from the Department of Energy um, and to help in the processing side, and, and you're exactly right, the, the impetus or the focus from the federal government side is how can we onshore the production of these materials, not just the extraction of it, but how can we keep the the refining and, and the processing of it here. And so we worked you know closely with Jigger Shaw and his team over the Department of Energy. And so we'll be we were the one the first um, lithium companies to receive that and it's a loan. It's you know it's ultimately going to be a ten year loan, but that we were able to get that that backing from the U.S. government was huge. And I, it speaks to the opportunities I think for you know companies like ours, but ultimately the um, the industry as a whole, and in particular areas like Nevada, um, that we have that support because it is important. I think that we see that there's. A, a national focus on electrification of technologies, reducing our carbon emissions generally across the transportation sector, across um, buildings, and, and and ultimately our energy systems. Um, and so it's important that we onshore the uh, the materials necessary for that as much as possible. Let's talk about Ioneer. Ioneer yep. is originally an Australian company. Yeah, so Ioneer started um, in Australia. Our CEO, um, Bernard Rowe, he's an Australian. And so, you know, that's the the origins of that company. Um, and that started I, back in, I want to say, 2016, 2017, um, what we call Ioneer today. You know, there, it was a different company um, before then. Um, but Ioneer now, you know, the majority, I mean, the vast majority, I would say 80, 90 percent of our employees are here in the U.S. And the vast majority of those are headquartered right here in Reno. Our offices are in Reno, um, not too far away from from Dragonflies, uh, from where you guys do all your great work. Um, so we are very much a Nevada and a U.S. company, and we um, started as a publicly traded company on the Australian Stock Exchange, but now we are also on the NASDAQ, um, and we did that last year. <laughs> so how did, how did Ioneer get started? So Ioneer was started, and, and going back a little bit of ways, but yeah. Our, I know you weren't there at the time. I wasn't there know. at the time, mm-hmm. no, but our, our CEO, um, he had done a lot of exploration and projects, you know, sort of around the world, and he ultimately found that there was a, a deposit where we were at Rhyolite Ridge, that's where we're, our project is going to be, um, that, that hadn't been explored for boron. Um, way back when, um, back in the early 1900s. And so we knew that there was boron there um, and we knew there was lithium there, but certainly up until the last couple of decades, 
um, there wasn't much of a, of a demand or we didn't see that increase in demand for lithium. Um, but then it, all of a sudden you take a look at it holistically and realize that there's an opportunity to produce both boric acid and lithium carbonate from the same ore body. It became a very attractive um, project. And that's how, you know, we started moving in. That is our, our key, our key project. That's what we're focused on is, is bringing this project online. Did the project start because of the demand for lithium because of the onset of trans transportation and electrification of transportation, or was it a new process that you guys were excited to apply to, to this particular uh, area? Yeah, so I think it's both. I think it's the, the mineralogy itself lends itself to being able to be um, processed so you can extract efficiently lithium and the boron out of the ore body. But then you couple that with the, the demand that we see um, and the incentives and, and the, old, the, the focus on electrification technologies are pushed towards um, reducing our carbon emissions across you know, the transportation and building sectors. I think you take all that together and then that's you know, why we're... Um, close to being uh, into production, or we're going to start construction here pretty soon. Let's talk about the economics of lithium, because there are skeptics who think there's no way you could possibly have enough lithium to do what policymakers want to do for electric vehicles in terms of electrifying, you know, 80 to 100 percent of the entire fleet, um, and that creates obviously some pressures on on the cost because the, it's more difficult to get to the supply so uh, what do you think is going to happen um, am i putting you on the spot here or just give me your opinion what do you, what do you think is going to happen in the future so I, I would say the demand it's pretty safe to say the demand is going to continue to increase mm -hmm. and, and and where that price is i guess depends on the number of projects that come online you know it takes a long time to develop it takes projects. a very long time and um, right now there's yeah. only a handful so that yeah. you know we kind of know what's happening over the next five seven years but what happens after that people need to start exploring and thinking about that now that, right yeah that's right and you know you see it takes on average over a decade for from once you discover that there is a deposit somewhere to then you know prove it out prove out your process to get the investment that's required to do all of that and then you have to go into the permitting side um, which also takes a, a very long time as well so you know that pipeline is important that we keep looking for what's that the next deposit the next project um, and ultimately you know the price of which it will be um, uh, dependent upon how many projects can actually mm -hmm. come online yeah it's it's an exciting time but there's also a lot of uncertainty as to how you fill in some of these gaps. You know, we talked about the production of, of the cathode. You know, you've got to, you, you can get all the lithium out of the ground, but then you still have to figure out how to produce the cathode here domestically. Otherwise, you're shipping it back to Asia, right? Right, yeah. And I think you see now that China, in particular, controls of, of, of vast majority of the processing of it right very very little of the the ore is actually coming from china it comes from you know south america mm -hmm. and australia um, but china has long controlled the processing the refinement side so to your point of us being able to onshore the productions of cathodes and anodes it's important for us to be able to get that processing done right here in the united states right but from the point of view of Ioneer, it's a secure business because whatever you get out of the ground someone's going to buy it. Demand is that big over the next decade. I, I would say that there's no shortage of interest yeah. um, in, in folks looking to, um, to 
bring their supplies of what they need from right here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we're a decade now removed from when we first met, and I didn't really have a whole lot going on, and you were at NIREC that was shutting down. Did you think we'd be here? Never in my wildest <laughs> dreams, frankly. It's 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 um, it's very it's very cool like, t- to be part of this ecosystem. You know, with seeing the success that you guys have had, to see this burgeoning lithium ecosystem. Right, uh, you have not only the mining and the processing, but we have folks like you that are manufacturing, and then you have the recycling. And to see all that within the the state's borders, it's yeah, no, never in my wildest dreams would I think that we'd be here as part of a really exciting time. Yeah, I'm, me too. <laughs> it's a, I, <laughs> it's I a good want, spot to be. I, I, I'm really uh, thankful for Ioneer. You guys do see the, the value of what we're doing, and the fact that you partnered with us is is a feather in our cap. So well, we're we're happy to work with you, and it's a pleasure. You know, I think from from my perspective, as a as a Nevada, and I grew up here, and seeing the challenges that we've uh, that we've had over, you know, certainly talking about the recession in 08, um, to seeing this really exciting opportunity for all of Nevada too. And I think that maybe that's something that is really exciting to me and sort of close to me is that you know I grew up in rural communities, and so this ecosystem isn't going to just benefit one area of the state. It's going to be in the rural parts of um, uh, of Nevada, you know, we're in Esmeralda County. It's the least populated um, county in the state, and it, in terms of the U.S., it's one of the sparse, most sparsely populated counties across the lower 48. And so, we're going to be able to bring considerable benefit to to that area of Nevada. And then, you know, you see because of us being able to produce materials here, you're going to continue to see uh, further entrepreneurship, economic development from uh, the dragonflies of the world. Um, and so to see that is it really, it's a statewide um, economic development opportunity is, is it's, it's a really cool time to be in Nevada. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and hope to come back soon. Tyson Falk from Ioneer. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Energy Podcast and be sure to subscribe on any of your favorite listening platforms.